0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Just visiting us today, my name is Jono. Um, my wife Chloe and I are the pastors here and it's just so cool to host you this morning with us. And if you're joining us online, or somehow you're somewhat upon our Facebook page, we're stoked to hear as well. And um, uh, a few years um, prior... To me, uh, being married to Chloe, I wasn't married to Chloe. And so, so I, was, you know, un, I was an unmarried person. And so uh, I was still a pastor, though. And so I was, like a young adult, I was a young adult pastor. And so I kind of oversaw the, the age group in this church of like that 18 to 20s somewhere, to kind of about a 12-year bracket there. So a lot of people in that demographic were getting hitched. And part of my responsibility as a pastor was to do what we, we used to call it pre-marriage counseling, but realize the counseling happened usually after the wedding day, so we, we now call it pre-marriage preparation. We do our best to prepare people for the onslaught of the joy and beauty and mess that is marriage. And so, so I had to sit down with unsus- poor unsuspecting couples and do their pre-marriage preparation with them. Now, you might be thinking the very thing they were thinking, the very thing I was thinking, why is an unmarried dude doing the pre-marriage preparation with us? So I had to come up with a good answer for that, and the best answer I had was, well, you don't know more than me. Like, You're unmarried, I'm unmarried, so let's do this together. And so, but I needed needed somewhere to get my cue from. Like, I can't just go, well, here's what I reckon about marriage. You know, what I reckon is, I needed something to get my cue from. Luckily, there was a book. Many years ago, my dad wrote an amazing book to help prepare couples for marriage. Um, It's now people who have bought it and do pre-marriage prep, even to this day, all over the world from a heap of people leverage it. It's an amazing book. So I had the book. And so pretty much the pre-marriage prep would go something like this. Well, the book says that when it comes to communication, you should do X, Y, Z. The book says when it comes to your in-laws, you should do X, Y, Z, right? So it was all about drawing my cues from the book. And then something amazing happened. I met Chloe. We fell in love. I somehow convinced her it was a miracle and she married me. And so, but the pre-marriage preparation completely changed because it was no longer the book says. It was like, so we made a big mistake in this area, learn from our mistake, right? And so I got to draw my cues from somewhere other than the book says, to experience and to life, and what it helped me do was become a little bit more patient, a little bit more graceful, a little bit more kind, and, and with showing empathy to people, because it's one thing for the book to say so, it's an, and everyone knows this, would be been married for any longer than a week, right? You know it's another thing to live, to live this out. And so we're always looking in life, aren't we, for, for who, to where do we get our cues from, particularly, particularly, and this is what our series has been about, when things don't go according to plan. And it happens in marriage, it happens in life. In fact, learning to be married and particularly when things that go according to plan. I remember I used to try and find couples that had that amazing, have that amazing claim that they've never had an argument and never had a fight. And I know there's some of you in here that will say that. And like, so I sought you out because I think that is so inspiring and, and, and just so encouraging. But I quickly realized <laughs> When, when I'm in the middle of something tense in my marriage and, going, and people are going through something in their marriages, couples that have never been through any tension don't know how to help those couples. <laughs> they don't know how to avoid struggles, but have they ever walked, helping people to walk through it? So, so I, like, I need to find my cues from people who have been in as much mess as I'm in and go, how did you get out of this? And how did you recover from this? And we do that in life, don't we? We try and find who we get our cues from, particularly when things don't go according. To plan. And maybe you're in your life right now, and you're going through something in some area of your life that certainly wasn't according to plan. And maybe it's for the better or maybe it's for the worse. And so we often look around and go, well, how do we deal with this? How do we navigate this season? How am I supposed to respond to this season? And where does faith come into this? And the, the interesting thing is, the, the whole idea of, of Christianity, this is so important to understand, particularly if you're, you're new to faith or you're curious about faith, it's Christianity is, is not so much about doing different things as it is about doing things differently. Let me, let me explain that again so we don't get lost. Christianity is not so much about doing different things as it is about doing things differently. Okay, so if you're curious about the Christian thing, do you guys do all of these weird different things? Now, are there Are some things that Christians just do that is different? But majority of the time, it's just we get our cues from Jesus and, and now we have this challenge as follows of Jesus. How do we go about our life and, and living it out every day and, and how do we do it Differently, because of the example of Jesus Christ, and that this is really, really good news for us, because it means when you're looking for cues in your life, it's and you're going, well, I'm lost right now, and things, my plans have kind of fallen apart. Who do I turn to? And so, what I want to do today, and this is obviously week number six in our series, and so to be honest with you, I, I really hesitated in tackling this particular topic, because the last thing I wanted to do is come across cliched, come across as a as a cop out or just tokenism. I, What we're going to share on today, hopefully, is going to hit right home to what many of us have to navigate every single day. And again, it's not about doing something that no one else does. And if you're a Christian here, most of the stuff you do in your life is like what everyone else does, right? You have to deal with relationships. You have to deal with money. You have to deal with this physical body that you have. You have to deal with people. But the follower of Jesus has an example to follow, Jesus, where we get our cues how to do what we do in life, but do it somewhat differently, and so what I want to do today is look at one particular um, uh, 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 an illustration and story in the New Testament, because it's filled with them of where things went wrong, and the followers of Jesus had to kind of get their cues from somewhere, and they looked at the example of Jesus, and it, and it completely changed the whole way they engaged when things didn't go according to plan. We're going to read from the Gospel of Mark today. Mark obviously wrote it, but he was dictating what Peter was saying. Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. He was a fisherman by trade. So it would be fair to assume as a fisherman from the Middle East 2,000 years ago, he wasn't able to write himself. So he got Mark to dictate it. That's why the gospel is called the Gospel of Mark. And um, and here's a story that three of the gospels record um, this particular event that took place. So we pick it up here in the Gospel of Mark. It says this, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. So this is the other side of a of a lake, a body of water. So leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. But a furious squall! Can everyone say that word with me? Because you're going to remember this squall. Nice job, everyone at home. Good job. A furious squall came up. Now, if you don't know what a squall is, a squall is like a sudden, unplanned, not according to plan, unpredictable storm, like really isolated. It could be snow, wind, hail, snow, whatever, it, rain, whatever it is, right? In a moment, just, ah, oh, it's like, it's a squall. So a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. So it means they, they, didn't, they looked at the weather and like, ah, oh, this is fine to cross over. And then it happened as they were in the middle of crossing over. Waves were crossing over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. <laughs> But Jesus, this is amazing, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, this is, so, this is so amazing, they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? You've got to see the tension that's playing out here in this moment. A whole bunch of professional fishermen, Peter being one of them, was in the boat. Squalls would have been nothing new to them, sudden waves and storms and winds blowing when they're out there fishing, wouldn't have been something new. That wasn't what was blowing them away. What caught their attention, what they they couldn't compute was that in the middle of waves breaking in over the boat, here was their teacher, here was their rabbi, here was the supposed son of God fast asleep in the stern of the boat. And an odd sign that was, they could understand if he was up going, quick, let's, let's row or let's sail. I'm not exactly sure what fishermen do in those moments, but just roll with me here, right? Well, they're probably expecting some kind of demonstration, some kind of illustration, some kind of motivational speech, like all hands on deck, or quick, bow ship, you know, we're in trouble, right? What do they get? Nothing. He was fast asleep. And they asked a very pertinent question. They said, teacher, don't you care that we could drown? And isn't, I mean, isn't that just the question that you and I ask when we find ourselves in our own proverbial storms that we didn't plan, and we feel like the waves of life are crushing over our boats, and the waves of worry are stirring up inside of our hearts, and we're fearful, and often what can seem like silence from God, we tend to ask the question that the disciples asked. They said, don't you care? Maybe today you're in something in your life, and that is indeed the question you've been asking. Does, does God does God care? Because, because surely, surely like, if God cared for me, He wouldn't allow this, particular storm to take place in my life, does, does God does God care for me? And it's actually a really honest question to ask, and it's a really important question to ask, and there's a mystery around it. And, and I might be completely wrong in this, but this is at least my observation from when storms hit a person's life, and when uh, the, the boat of a person's life feels like it's going down, and we ask those big questions about God, he, here's the mystery around it. I've seen many people go through a, a storm in life and go through something that was not according to their plan. And what they went through caused them to leave faith. And it caused them to turn their back on the Heavenly Father, do it alone. And it convinced them somehow in the middle of that what they were going through. Maybe some of you can relate to this tension. It convinced them that maybe God doesn't care. And so they left faith. But here's where the mystery lies. And you've probably seen this too. Maybe you're even going through this or maybe it's why you're here today. People who have been through the same kind of storm. Their storm they went through led them to faith in God. The storm they went through got them asking questions about the meaning of life and the meaning of suffering and the meaning of their future. And their questions led them beyond themselves and led them beyond to their events to something deeper, something bigger, and something eternal. And they discovered in their storm that there is a heavenly Father who isn't distant and removed, but a heavenly Father who is close and wants to be intimate and wants to be with you in your boat, in the storm. And so to me, it's often a mystery why the same storm can leave some people to leave faith or the same storm leads some some people to discover faith. So what I want to do, to, and I'm not, again, I'm not a pro at this, but just to tackle this from one angle, I want us to put the God thing to the side, if you can do that, just for a moment, right? Just some of you will find that easier than others, some of you might find it harder than others, but just for a moment, leave it here. And, and to recognize something, okay? These guys, these fishermen, a squall or a storm would not have been new to them. Being fishermen, Storms would have happened all the time. I mean, they would have been pros. And here's the thing. Jesus said to them, we want to go to the other side, meaning we have a goal, somewhere we want to go. And you don't even need to have any kind of faith or spirituality to understand that when you have a goal or you have something you want to be, you want to cross over to the other side of anything, is that every goal has a squall. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. A bit better than 8.30 service reaction. They all stopped me and went, huh? At least four people clapped. So... Every goal has a squall. Every <laughs> I just needed to find something that rhymes, so it's memorable, okay? Because think about it. Anytime you've attempted to cross over the other side of anything, you've had a goal, it means that there is a very real possibility of opposition. This isn't even a God thing or a faith thing. It's just a, a thing thing, right? You have a goal. You have an ambition. You have an ambition. You have a desire. <laughs> and you want to cross over the other side of anything. The reason it's a goal is because you know there's a very real chance of setbacks and storms. If there was no very real chance, it wouldn't be a goal. It would just be a, um, a doing. I don't know. There's no word for it, right? But you, anyway, and you're here this morning. If you've a, had a goal for your marriage, had a goal for your kids, had a goal for your business, had a goal for your, your health, you would know any goal. There's just obstacles because you're involved, right? So you have, yeah. So you have to kind of figure out a way to get through the obstacles that are, and it's not a negative thing. It's just, It's just a a thing. And so so for the disciples of Jesus in this moment, the squall wasn't what's new. And in fact, in all three accounts of this story, from three different of the four gospels that recount this story, nowhere did it mention that they were going to sink. It just said that there were waves hitting them, they were in a storm. The part that stood out to the disciples of Jesus wasn't that they were in a storm and wasn't that that the supposed son of God would allow a storm in their life what got their attention and what they couldn't understand and the question that they asked stem from this one factor. They couldn't get how Jesus was asleep and that supposed peace while everyone else had panic. They could not wrap their head around how Jesus found calm in the middle of a storm. And again, without wanting to sound cliche and you know, you know, kind of just these Christian throwaway lines we do, we cannot avoid this particular dynamic of what it means to follow Jesus because the Jesus way will always teach us how to find calm in the storm. And whilst we can't be guaranteed a life would be free of storms, and again, you don't, you don't need me to know that. You don't even need the Christian story to, to kind of in, intervene with your life to know that every goal has a squall, right? But here's what people often don't know, but here's what Jesus shows us, is that even in storms, this is an incredible This is an incredible example that we see in this story, that Jesus found an incredible way of finding peace and finding calm and finding rest in the middle of a boat that was being swamped. Isn't that, to be honest, isn't that what we're all chasing? Like, we all know, it'd be be naive for me to go, you know, here's how to avoid storms in life. To avoid storms in life just means you're avoiding living. the, The Christian message, the Jesus way, it offers incredibly deep resources for us to wrestle with to learn, okay, I get that there's storms in life, but you're trying to tell me that there is some kind of way to learn the Jesus way whereby I can find calm in the middle of a storm? You betcha. And here's my point. It's when we're in life when we're in storms, we're often looking, as like I said at the start, where do we get our cues? Who do we look to? Where do we get an illustration from? Here's the thing. I want you to get your cues for calm from Jesus because, because we, we can too easily, and here, here's why this is important, right? We can too easily think, you know what? I don't need this, I'm, just, I'm, I'm the type of person who can navigate a storm, I just want to get on the other end, don't tell me to calm down, don't tell me how I need to react in storm, I'm just going to get to the other end. If you don't want to do it for your own sanity, here's what I want to plead with you with. Do it for the sanity of those who have to live with you. And I really mean that, right? Like the reason I'm so challenged about this, if I just was by myself, never, navig- you know, freak out away. But I have a family to live with. Right? Maybe you do too. If you don't have a family, maybe you've got neighbors, and your neighbors like, "Will you turn that down?" Or (laughs) maybe you've got colleagues to live with. You're definitely part of a community here that cares for you. And so to realize that that within community, okay, even if not for yourself, learn to do this as an encouragement and an example and a support to other to other people. Is you can learn the Jesus way, whereby not that we avoid storms of life, but we can learn how to do storms differently and to learn to get our cues from the Son of God. I mean, I look, at, I look at this in my own life, how often, like, this is a nice idea, but where does it interrelate in everyday life? Um, I don't know how you find air, air, air travel and going on planes. To me, it still baffles me that planes can fly. Does anyone agree? Like, how do tin tubes fly, you know? So you just try not to think about it, and you just happily, you know, go on your way. So, so here's the thing. The moment... The moment turbulence hits in a flight, I am a panicker, right? I'm like clutching the seats. I clutch the thigh of the person next to me. I don't care who they are. I'm like, man, this is weird. I'm calling the ranger or whatever. Whoever's on the flight, a ranger. I don't know where I got that from. Air marshal, that's the one. Someone help me. I'm sitting next to this dude. But anyway, so I, I freak out. So what I do, the moment we hit air turbulence, I need to get my cues from someone. Don't get your cues from me. Okay? So who do, all, who do we all look for when we hit turbulence? We look for the staff, you know, they've got the little tray. would you like a water yes please seven bucks you know so if they're happily like it's going to be 10 bucks tonight but if we're happily like going through the aisles and i'm bumping away here and they're just like would you like you know would you like an extra slice of cheese with so if they're like calm as a cucumber i'm like i'll get my cues from them because they know they know more than me they've been here a lot more than i have what i think is like an emergency they're like it's normal you don't have to panic so you've got to get your cues from someone you know, if they're running back to their place quickly and these ones and they quickly have to put their things up, then panic, go for it, okay? And, you know, do your whole thing, pray to God or whatever it is you do. So, but, but here's my challenge to you, okay? When we go through storms, I want to talk about what does it mean to actually get our cues from Jesus? And what difference, if any, does being a follower of Jesus make then? If, if we can't be guaranteed the absence of storms, how do we know peace and calm and rest? How can we do storms differently because of Jesus? So they freak out, you know, Jesus, don't you care? And then here's the next part of the story as Mark records it. So they wake Jesus up from his sleep, he says he got up. This is amazing. He says he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, have you ever done this before? Quiet, <laughs> be still. You ever tried to do that with your child before, you know? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. But he said it to the storm, He said it to the waves. Then the, this is, this is amazing. The winds died down and it was completely calm before there's ever calm on the outside, he had incredible calm on the inside, right? So he said to his disciples, and this is amazing, he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why, are you, why is your faith still redlining? Do you still have zero faith? Now, this is, this is really important to understand here, and I, I want to draw some clarity around this. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it, it isn't a, a, a truth to say that in life we can know what it is to have no fear because, because fear has its, has its uses, right? I mean, fear used and managed correctly actually is very helpful. If you're a parent, having a good measure of fear keeps your kids safe, right? Teaching your kids to be, have a good measure of fear about the right things Keep them safe, right? So, so, fear has its uses. The problem with fear is when it begins to rule your life, okay? When fear begins to dominate your existence and to steal your calm and to steal your joy, that's when you know fear has come out of its wrong position. So, Jesus says. Jesus questioned his disciples. He says, hey, how is it that you're still, and he used this term, he didn't say, why are you still afraid? He said, why are you so afraid? Meaning your, your fear is still like red lining. And then he said this, do you still have no faith? He didn't say, you know, a small measure of faith. I think I trust God. He said, I'm looking at your measure of fear in your life and it's up there. You have, you're so afraid. Which says to me that, and, and if you're not a Christian here, you're not familiar with kind of church speak, the best understanding of, of faith is trust. It means to trust in God. So Jesus looked at his disciples and said, by the amount of fear that is dominating your life, it says to me that you don't trust God at all. You have no faith. He didn't say this difference is, you know, have a little bit of faith, you'll have no fear. He goes, I get you'll have fear in life. But he says, you haven't allowed your faith in God to have any impact in your fear whatsoever. It means faith is obviously just something you put on the side there that you go to on Sundays. But in the real life, when storm hits in your life, you don't to let your faith impact your fear at all. And your fear redline and you panic and you're upset and you get hot headed, and you get angry. When you could be like me, you could know what it is to be calm in this storm. And the point is this, faith in Christ will always have a direct impact on your fear. Faith in Christ will always have a direct impact on your, on your fear. And so maybe in, in your life, and again, I want to acknowledge, like fear is a real thing. And I'm not saying have no fear. But what I am saying, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus, do you ever invite the one who slept in a storm on a boat 2,000 years ago to help you with your fear? Or does your fear take precedence over any trust you have in God. And so what I encourage you in and what I wanna challenge you in is that faith in Christ by its nature will gnaw away at your levels of fear and will eat away at your anxiety and will begin to destroy your panic and destroy your worry. The more you learn to begin to trust Jesus with your life, you will find your fear levels go down and down and down and down and you'll begin to put fear in its place in your life. And the way you put fear in its place is by submitting it to Christ, not by submitting to your fear. And this is the tension. You have fear. You either submit it to Christ and go, freaking out here, you know, push out, or we allow our own lives to submit to fear. And your life is too important and your life is too valuable. And Jesus has done so much for you that you should never allow fear to be the dictating factor in how you live your life. I mean, think about fear in this term, because fear can come in a whole lot of shapes inside it. It's not, I guess it's not one shoe fits all, if you can put it that way. There's there's a huge, there's a huge different dynamics when it comes to fear. And the, the incredible thing about this, or the alarming thing about this is, I think more people have quit going to the other side of whatever it might be, the proverbial other side or the goal in life. More people have quit goals in life or quit advancement in life out of fear than ever have done out of failure more people quit out of fear than they ever do out of failure. And it, it's so prevalent that, that, you know, if you've, you've given up on something because you've tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and then you got counsel and you tried again and you got more wisdom and you tried again and you got educated and you tried again. It, I understand if you've tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and you've done everything you your expense go, look, this is just not going to work. All power to you. But, but when you don't even try to go to the other side, when you give up because of fear, when you quit, because you don't even give it a go, that's a true tragedy. When you avoid finding peace in your marriage, not because you've tried and sought counsel and sought people to help you along the way and sought support and sought godly intervention, you just were fearful of having that conversation. When you were fearful of having that chat with your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your friend or your sibling, when you just didn't engage with something because of fear, that's a tragedy. And we too often quit and give up purely out of fear and anxiety and worry rather than failure. I mean, it can be fear of man. Think of it. Think about how often fear of man is like a snare to our lives. Fear of correction, fear of rejection, fear of people's opinions. Then there's the fear of loss, losing our security, losing our comfort. I think that's why so often we, to, we stop so short of achieving any goal in life because we just are, are scared of losing what we find comforting. It's like if I go for that goal, it means I won't have this comfort in my life. That's right. And so fear of losing comfort holds us back. Fear of death, it's huge. But this is where faith in Christ intersects with our fear. Jesus said to His disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But then it goes on and He says this. They were terrified. They were terrified. You think, hang on, you've just calmed the storm, you've calmed the waves, the, 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 you know, the water's not rushing over our boat anymore. You think there'd finally no calm because the outside storm was gone. It's not the case because fear isn't just based on what's happening outside of you. Fear is more to do what's happening inside of us. And they were still terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. This is is what's crazy. Even though the storm outside had stopped, there was still a storm raging inside. And that can happen for you and I. Because fear can blind us. This is so important to understand. Fear can blind us to the good that is in our lives. And many of you have so much good and so much healthy things and so many things going for you. But you know fear is a grip in your life when you just can't see it anymore. And we get so panicked and so worried about something... A storm in our life that it blinds us to the good things that are happening and the people that are in your world and the people who are loving you and the people who are supporting you. I remember it said once, and this ticked me off, but I found it quite humorous. So, the difference between an ordeal and an adventure is just your attitude. So, it's an adventure. I'm with all my mates in a boat. If we're going down, at least we're all going down together. You know, I don't know how you look at it, right? But fear blinds us to the good in our lives. The second thing it does is fear puts the worst case scenario on a pedestal. Right? I mean, think about how quickly we go to like the, the, the worst case scenario of things. Everyone's against me. This whole thing is going to fail. And what that does is it leaves no room for hope. It leaves no room for patience. Worse and more of all, it leaves no room for growth. It needs no room for maturity. And fear says this is all bad. Nothing good can come from this. It always puts the worst case scenario on a pedestal. Fear then goes on to steal our rest and our peace. That's why so often many of us will lose sleep, will lose our joy, just you can't bring yourself to sing. Some of you, that's a good thing that you don't sing in publicly too often, you know, that's all right. But it will steal your rest and your peace. And finally, perhaps most tragically, fear can too easily become a lens in which we view the whole world. And so everything we look at, is tainted with fear. Everyone's against us. Nothing's gonna work out. It's all going wrong. And it creates the tone and the rhythm and the feeling of our life. But in that moment, the disciples asked Jesus one of the most profound questions. It's a question I want us to leave with today. It says, as Jesus calmed the storm down, he said, You know, why are you terrified? Do you have no faith? It says, They were still terrified and they asked the question, Who is this? Who's this guy? I mean, who is this that while we were all panicking and we were all afraid and we were all worried, who is this that kept his cool? I mean, who who is this that when I was at my worst and when worry and anxiety had swamped my life, who is this that stuck with me? Who is this that when my proverbial boat of my life was being swamped and was going down and I was scared for my future? Who is this that refused to bail on my life and it stuck with me and stayed with me in the boat? Who is this? And friends, for you and I, how we answer that question of who is Jesus will determine not just what happens to you, but it determines how you handle, navigate, and walk through the inevitable storms of life that are thrown your way. Who is this? Who is this Jesus who refuses to give up on me when I've given up hope and everything else? Who is this that chooses to see the best in my life when all I see is that everything's crumbling and everything's going down? Who is this? And friends, here's the thing, okay? My hope and my prayer is that we don't just look at this moment when we talk about Jesus and we talk about faith as some kind of tokenism. That the, the God thing and the faith thing is just some, it's just something to make me feel nice, maybe on a Sunday once a week, or maybe when I jump on my phone every day to get my fix or what, whatever it is. Right? Nothing ticks me off more than when I see like a community leader when there's like some tragedy happens and they do the classic, you know, uh, our, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. I'm like, like this, this, this Jesus dynamic in our world, it's not a token. It's not some cliché on the side, right? Here's the thing, what Jesus did in the boat that day was symbolic of ultimately what he did on the cross for your life and my life. Where, when he looked at the storm of the human experience, he didn't jump ship. He said, I'm jumping in with you. I'm gonna come in the human mess with the human worry and concern and anxiety, and I'm gonna come as the Prince of Peace. And I'm gonna offer your life an anchor, and I'm gonna offer your life some hope, and I'm gonna be the one that offers your life the peace and the calm that you are looking for. I am Jesus. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who's committed to you. I'm the one that's gonna rescue you. I'm the one that's gonna be with you in the storms of life. I will not bail when your ship is being swamped. Who is this? And if you're a follower of Jesus here, my challenge to you, man, have you left Jesus outside of your sinking boat for far too long? And, it's, and, and I, get, I, can get, I get it, right? But allow a storm to become a trigger for you again to remember, hang on, this isn't a token thing. We don't just go, you know, thoughts and prayers. God gave His life so that you would know peace and not just on this side of eternity but peace forever. You know those who walked with Jesus and those who knew Jesus personally spent a whole lot of time trying to outwork and Apply what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and the example Jesus showed them, it's what we call our New Testament. It's pretty much after the gospel accounts, the biographies of Jesus, the disciples like Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude, the rest of the New Testament, them trying to like outwork, how do we put what Jesus showed and Jesus taught into practice? When it came to navigating the storms of life, when things don't go according to plan, a squall rises up the apostle Paul said something so profound, and it's recorded in his letter to the church at Philippi. And here's what he says to do in moments like this He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in what situation? In every situation. By prayer. And he repeats the word, but just does it in a non-Christian term or non-spiritual term, petition. It means the same thing, just asking God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's the thing, in every situation, can we hold that up there just for a moment because I'm gonna come back to it. In every situation, I think we, we, we too often write God's care for us off and we think he's, he's not interested in this, in this or that or and we give conditions to, God, to God's care for our life well, if those who walk with Jesus do anything about Jesus, maybe we can get our cues from them. And now we're like, here's the thing. You know what you should be anxious about? Nothing. Do you know what you can bring to God, your cares and your worries? You know what it, things God's concerned about in your life? Everything. Those things you think are too small, He cares. <laughs> those things we write off is too big, He cares. Every area of your life, your heavenly Father is interested And what the apostles would say is, hey, bring those things that would otherwise cause you worry and fear and anxiety. Bring them through prayer and petition to God. And it's His promise. It says, and the the peace of your heavenly Father, the peace of God, which, and I love it how He just calls this, because it's what we're all thinking. He said, which transcends understanding, which means, why should you be calm and peaceful when a boat's been flooded by water? Well, Jesus would say, because your skin's waterproof. That wasn't that funny, was it? Okay. <laughs> we said it transcends all understanding, meaning the, the peace that comes through faith in Jesus, it does, it's not supposed to make sense. And they just call it. But they said this, the peace of God, which transcends your understanding, will we'll guard your hearts and your minds. That's where most of the storms in life rage in our world. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My friend, if we can take any cue for what the first followers of Jesus understood about the man who stayed asleep on a cushion in the stern of a sinking ship, it would say this, all your cares, all your worries, all your fear, submit them to God. Don't submit to them. Submit them to God. Because often our fear and our worry and our anxiety is often just an unprayed prayer. Heavenly Father, today, you are still in our boat. You haven't jumped ship. For those this morning who feel like they're being sunk and overwhelmed, today we submit our fear to you. I love it. Maybe everyone here, and even if you're watching along online, why don't you just take 20 to 30 seconds right now for the very thing that you feel is drowning in your life, the squall in your life, why don't you take your own moment right now, submit it to God. And if you're not a Christian here, if you're someone that isn't familiar with this, this could maybe be your first step of trust. So take a moment. anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer petition with thanksgiving god we let our request be made known to you god according to that promise i ask that your peace the peace of heaven would be every person's this morning that you would guard our hearts and our minds in christ jesus stand guard i pray holy spirit for your great encouragement For fear to tone right down, for people to catch their breath again, love to get their vision and joy back in life, and to know not just calm, but the God of calm. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.